So as you already know, in addition to being a minister, I teach flying trapeze. And I will say that I'm, I'm a part-timer. I work a few classes a week. Um, but my wife, Mandy, is a very experienced instructor. She works there full-time, and she is what we call a serious flyer as well, a flyer being someone who does flying trapeze. And we work for a company that's called Trapeze School New York, which has locations in New York, as you might imagine, Washington, D.C., and other places as well. Uh, When hearing about this somewhat unusual activity, many people ask variations of the question, how did you get into that, or why did you get into that? Uh, So I'm going to tell a little bit of of my and our story this morning um, and talk about learning and teaching. Mandy took her first class in about 2007 while she was visiting a friend in New York City. And it's not, it's not totally surprising that she would do that because she did gymnastics as a kid. And, and to be quite honest, her parents were in the circus for a while. Her dad, her dad was a circus clown and her mother rode elephants for a traveling show called Mills Brothers. But it's also true that, that Mandy is afraid of heights. But her interest outweighed her fear And she was thrilled when someone at that New York school said that they had a a branch of the company down here. And in fact, the school's slogan, which is forget fear, worry about the addiction, (laughs) turned out to be extremely true in Mandy's case. She could not get enough. And at that point, she was ready for a career change. And so we agreed that just between jobs and as she was figuring out what she wanted to do next, that she could take take a couple months and just prioritize just doing flying trapeze as a student. But when she asked one of the senior instructors what she should focus on during that time, he came back and said, well, what are your goals? I mean, do you want to train to perform, or are you just doing this for fun, or, or do you want to train to be an instructor? An instructor? That thought had never occurred to her. But as she thought about it more, and we talked it over, she decided that, yeah, she she really wanted to try this. And so, after an extensive training period, she very, very, very happily became a full-time flying trapeze instructor in about 2009. And that was one that took me a little while to wrap around. Although although she hadn't run off, she, she had, in fact, joined the circus. That, that was not part of our kind of wedding vow, you know, exchange. But, of course, we did commit to supporting each other wherever that took us. Now, for my part, I was kind of interested in flying trapeze, but at that time, I was in seminary, I was still working, things were really busy, and I felt like, you know, it's, it's good for couples to have some separate interests, some things that you just do differently. Um, but I took a few classes... But eventually, eventually I realized that I was hooked. And I felt a little bit bad about it because I had maybe, maybe talked ill of the obsession with flying trapeze for a while. Um, so I had to have this kind of confessional experience where I came up and I was like, so Mandy, like, yes, Rob, I think I, I have something I need to tell you. Okay. I think I love trapeze. 
And it was true. I'm not, I'm not sure if she gloated or, or mocked me. Either would have been appropriate responses, but we were hooked. Now, for this to make more sense, let me tell you just a little bit about what happens at a flying trapeze school. Now, when you approach the home of our school, which is down by the Navy Yard, the first thing you see is this gigantic white tent with forget fear, worry about the addiction emblazoned on the side. And as you step inside this big tent, you, you have this sense that you should probably be talking to the person at the big welcome desk. That's obviously the welcome station. But if you're like 99% of the people who come in, you're actually like this. Because you're just watching whatever's happening up in the air. And so there's a board. And that's 23 feet in the air. There's a trapeze bar for the flyers. We call that the fly bar. Then there's another trapeze bar for the catcher. We call that the catch trapeze or the catch trap. And of course, there's a net. Until reaching the more advanced levels, every single flyer is wearing a safety belt and clipped into safety lines from the moment that first foot leaves the ground to climb the ladder to that time when you roll safely out of the net and have your feet back on the ground. You're clipped into safety lines the whole time. Now, during the first 90 minutes or so of class, flyers practice tricks or other elements of flying. And then in the last half hour, for those who who want to and those who are ready, who have the timing, we go for catches. And so catches means that there's a catcher in that second trapeze swinging upside down and attempting to grab flyers by their wrists. And here's one of the most important pieces of trapeze protocol that is is often one of the trickiest things for for flyers to remember. You do not catch the catcher. The catcher catches you. That if if you're a flyer and your hands are moving, a condition we refer to as grabby hands, there will be no catch. And when that happens, which is frequently, a flyer ends up in the net just as they would anyway. And most flyers will have grabby hands at some point. I think it's natural. If you're flying through the air and you see something that you think might hold you up, you want to grab it. <laughs> the intellectual knowledge that we're, we're not supposed to catch the catcher is just superseded by that very primal desire to avoid falling. Trust is enormously important in flying trapeze. And interestingly, although the the equipment, in some ways, is, is a critical part of the safety process, very, very few students have any questions or concerns about the equipment. Instead, what they don't trust is the human parts of the process. You know, some folks ask questions about whether or not they can trust the instructors. They're, they're not sure if the staff person working the board really does have a firm hold of their safety belt. They're not sure if it's truly safe to do what the staffer says is necessary in order to take off from a flying trapeze platform, which is to lean out over the edge of the net, reach your right hand out, and grab the trapeze bar. And then comes the real sticky part where you have to let go of this ladder thing you're holding with your left hand, too. And reach out and grab the bar. 
And then there's the commands to leave. On ready, bend your knees, and on hep, take a little hop forward. Ready. Hop. And then you find yourself in the air. Now, of course, some people don't believe that, that you're holding them when you're up here. One of my favorite things they say is like, you got me, you got me, right? Yes. You're not going to let go, are you? Well, yeah, I am going to let go. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just holding your belt 23 feet in the air and we're having an awkward conversation, you know. And that's not what they need to hear it then. They just need to say, I got you, I got you, I got you. And honestly, what, what the flyers are vocalizing at that point is a lack of trust for the staff people, but what, what I think it really is is a lack of trust in their own selves, in their own bodies. They don't, they don't trust their ability to do this scary thing that they've never done before. Let's take, take a step back and look at theology for a moment, because there is actually theology that relates to this. And both, both the ethical tradition, the humanist tradition, and the Unitarian Universalist tradition place an incredibly high value on learning. And indeed, the fact, the desire to study the Bible from an academic and historical perspective instead of a purely religious one was one of the most important developments that distinguished the early Unitarians from other Christians. And our forebears also adopted a very different approach to the teaching of religion that is still absolutely vital to how we operate today. Consider these words from William Ellery Channing, the person most responsible for defining American Unitarianism. The great end in religious instruction, he said, is not to stamp our minds upon the young, but to stir up their own. Not to make them see with our eyes, but to look inquiringly and steadily with their own not to give them a definite amount of knowledge, but to inspire a fervent love of truth. Now, on one hand, we need to trust ourselves and our abilities to learn. But on the other hand, sometimes there's just not going to be a lot of progress without some outside influence. And so when Mandy first suggested that I should become a catcher, that person in the other trapeze reaching out and grabbing people, I thought the idea was ridiculous. And I just said, no, no way. I mean, I, I enjoyed doing the flying trapeze, but I was a, a faith-based lobbyist training for the ministry, and that wasn't part of my plan, and I'm someone who really likes plans, maybe a little too much sometimes. And so each time Mandy brought it up, I just shot it down immediately. Eventually, though, I had to admit that what was holding me back was not a lack of time, and it was not a lack of interest. It was a lack of confidence. It was fear. I wasn't sure that I could do it. And I was letting that self-doubt keep me from even trying. But one day, I finally got the nerve up to ask, do you really think that I could become a catcher. Yes, she says, absolutely. 
So I agree to give it a shot. Now, to get up to that catch trapeze, that second one, you walk across a net and climb a rope. Now, that part was okay for me. I had done that in gym class. But once I got up onto it, which is basically just like a swing, it feels like a swing, I was terrified. And I was embarrassed that I was terrified. Because I wasn't even doing anything. I was just sitting there. And so all I could do was just swing back and forth a little bit. And then I got down and wondered what on earth I had been thinking. (laughs) But Mandy reassured me, that's fine. It takes time. And so I kept going once or twice a week, each time doing a little more, swinging, eventually doing the right motions. And more often than I could realize, my coaches knew I was ready for the next step before I felt I was ready. And so eventually, I was doing everything well enough that the time came for me to catch someone. And of course, that first person would be my wife, (laughs) Mandy. She would be doing the safest trick, which is the first one every new flyer learns in their very first class, which is a knee hang. She's going to swing out and hook her knees up over the bar and then let go of her hands. And so my job, assuming that her hands are just in that right position, is just to reach out and grab her and say, gotcha. And then she grabs me back. And so the time came. She's taking off. I'm doing my thing. Her hands are right there. All I have to do is reach out and grab them. And I did. And it worked. And it was one of the best feelings I've ever had in my entire life. And I didn't even know it was going to be happening that day. I didn't think I was even close to ready. But my coaches knew, and Mandy knew. And so when I look, look back on this experience, one of the things that, that just keeps coming up is how consistently something I thought was utterly impossible proved to seem possible when I took a few more steps, to them seeming maybe even probable, took a few more steps, and then eventually being able to do it. That you don't know what's possible sometimes until you take a couple steps towards it. And you know, it's true. I've seen, I've seen some first-time flyers who were too scared to do it. Who climbed up, tried a few times, and had to climb back down the ladder. But I've seen so many more who are sometimes standing on the board with tears literally streaming down their faces, who find the courage and trust for themselves to reach out, to grab that bar, and to take off, to do something that they never imagined that they could do a year earlier, a month earlier, or even 15 seconds earlier. They swing through the air on a flying trapeze. And so there's the trust and courage that that each of us must bring on our own. And there's the part of mentoring, the things that that we bring to others to help others along. And I think one of the interesting things is that that I saw Mandy go from student to instructor right before my eyes. I mean, it, it literally happened. I saw it. But I never saw that as possible for myself. And so what I... What I wondered from that is what, what other possibilities are out there for me? What other possibilities are out there for you that are right in front of your face but that, that we can't see them? That we need someone else 
to help us. And the other piece of that is, what are the other opportunities that we might be missing to be mentors? To see in someone else something that they cannot see for themselves. Sometimes all it takes is a simple question. Hey, have you thought about trying this? Have you ever thought about painting or being a coach or joining the choir? Give it a shot. I think you'd be great. You know, sometimes mentoring is about dramatic life changes, but most of the time, it's just about helping people see new possibilities. There are no guarantees in this business, of course. And many of us, either literally or metaphorically, may, may fall down more than a few times along the way. But the more we try, the more steps we take, the more we are able to see new options. And so let us move forward from here, learning what we can and helping others to do the same. May it be so.